Back to left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing to yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounce. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. All right, we are underway on this Tuesday, April 18th. Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It feels weird not to be doing a Flames Talk show from the Dome. Maybe once again this week. We're still expecting this week Daryl Sutter to talk to the media, so that'll probably be a show from the Dome, but we're underway this hour. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media will join us a little bit later on. Our Daily Flames Roundtable this hour as we are still digesting and sifting through all the information and all of what we think we know, maybe what we don't know from yesterday's or Monday's Calgary Flames news with... General Manager Brad Tree living in the team parting ways, Brad stepping away, and the GM search underway with Don Maloney installed as the interim GM and, more importantly, the president of Hockey Operations. So lots to get to this hour on Flames Talk. It's a Tuesday, so let's kick it off by saying hello to our NHL insider. Frank Saravalli starts us off, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. And Frank joins us now and it's been a uh, busy last little while here in Calgary trying to figure out exactly what was going to happen then Monday we find out that uh, Brad Tree Living and the Flames have decided to part ways and you know there's been a story that you've been following and, and you've been uh, keeping your ear to the ground on and, and doing lots of reporting on over the last number of months I, I guess just how do you look back on how we got here, Frank? Frank, by the way, from uh, Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. How, how do you look back on, on how we got here and with Brad True Living no longer with the organization? How did we get here? Yeah. Oh, how, do you, how do you reflect on how we got here? I just, it's kind of amazing how we got here. So, like, let's rewind back to the moment that Daryl Sutter was hired as coach again. And I, I don't mean like 20 years ago, cause we don't mm. have time for that. Um, the plan was like a short term stay. It was a year and a half or two years. And, and Daryl Sutter would be out. He was sort of brought in to come in and be the guy that would write the ship. And after umpteen coaching changes, finally fix an issue that had ailed the flames or had been a, you know, a huge hole for a while in their, organization so he comes in and he wins the jack adams the team wins the division they flame out in the playoffs johnny gaudreau gets traded johnny gaudreau walks matthew kachuk asks to leave and gets traded and then through all of that signs the extension and the extension was never part of the plan like never was that part of what the flames wanted to try and accomplish here so the thought process that went behind the extension was given how Daryl operates, don't have him coach into the last year of his deal because players will tune him out. So they wanted to give him some backing. So the flames went to ownership and they said, we'd like to give Daryl Sutter an extension. So Mary Edwards green lights it and says, sure. I understand your reasoning. Let's give him an extension. 
And they offered Daryl Sutter a one-year extension, and he declined. And he said, I'm only doing two years. And so at that point, the Flames were between a rock and a hard place because they wanted to get Daryl Sutter extended. They felt like it was important, but didn't necessarily want to go to two years because they felt like there would be a portion of that deal where you might be paying a coach to not coach. In the end, Mary Edwards decides, you know, this is probably the best move. You've made a compelling argument. Let's sign him to the two-year extension. And then at that same exact moment in time, they made offers to Brad Tree Living to stay and sign an extension as well that I don't know if the best way to explain it is they were light or they didn't have the financial backing either in terms of term or dollars. And Brad Tree Living just kind of tabled discussions. The season goes off the rails and there's a million points of friction between Daryl Sutter and players, Daryl Sutter and management, Daryl Sutter and coaches and equipment staff and everyone in the organization. And you arrive at this juncture at the end of the season where everyone says, hmm, how do we fix this? What's the path forward? Is it going to be the coach? Is it going to be the GM? Are both going to go? And it's entirely possible as we sit here Tuesday, April 18th, that both end up going at the end of the day. But for now, Daryl Sutter seems to have won what ended up being a power struggle in that Brad Tree Living, I don't think, was coming back to work for the Calgary Flames if Daryl Sutter was continuing on as coach. And I think that was not a, just a personal opinion or decision. It was also, I think, what, not to put words in his mouth, what he felt was the best move for the Flames moving forward with their roster that enough players had voiced their frustration and anger throughout the year and specifically in exit meetings, that this was a difficult path to envision Daryl Sutter continuing on as head coach with this roster. And you end up having to make changes and Brad Street living walks. So, so there's a lot to unpack there. There there's a ton to unpack there. So that's where- as I know it. Where do the Flames then go? Because Don Maloney says uh, at Monday's news conference that he'll be reviewing everything, uh, including coaching. He was asked point blank about whether or not Daryl Sutter is the coach of this team. So is that is a coaching change still in the cards here as you see it? I think it's unlikely, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Because if you were going to keep the, if you were going to get rid of the coach, then you might as well have just kept the GM, who by all accounts is really well respected and has, has, I think, deals with a different set of parameters and mission and mandate to build the flames. Just as you heard John Bean say at his, at his press conference with Don Maloney, that this team doesn't rebuild. The flames are operating under a different set of parameters than everyone else because. That's the mandate. They want to be competitive every year. They want a chance to win. And I think sometimes that's good and bad. Um, in today's NHL, the best way to win is by drafting and developing. That's the, the path to a most consistent uh, chance to win. But with Don Maloney now in as president of hockey operations, to me, him and Brad Tree Living are cut from the same cloth. They're 
close friends have worked closely together for 15 plus years. I can't imagine that he's sitting there saying, Oh, Daryl Sutter is, this is good. That's my sense that when he says everything's open for review, if it wasn't, he would have just said, Daryl Sutter is our coach period. End of story. Let's have this story go away. And yet he left the door open for it. I just don't know if he has the juice with ownership or with whoever it would be in order to make a change. I I don't see it. It would have already happened. So if I had to bet, I would say right now, Daryl Sutter will be head coach on October, whatever, 7th, whenever they decide to play their first game of the year. There's been a lot made about the, the length and kind of what was said in exit meetings with players. And and Don was very clear to say that he was in on all those exit meetings. I just, I, I, I wonder a little bit about that. There's a lot of speculation out there that um, there are certain players who are not uh, thrilled to go forward if Daryl remains the head coach of this team. And I wonder if now that exit meetings have been done and wrapped up, and now we have an answer on where Brad Living is going, I wonder if I wonder if there's some reflection now. It's the one thing that everybody's been talking about is how they don't want to do anything. This was this this Brad True Living decision, this got made, but they also don't want to make any necessarily necessarily knee-jerk decisions um in the next few days. I just wonder what comes out of this internal audit that they say that they're doing right now. Well, who's gonna be the next GM? That's what I want to know. Yep. Why wasn't, by all accounts, Craig Conroy is super well-respected and someone that has done the work in just about every position in this front office. So how, like, why leave that post open? That was the most peculiar part of all these develop. Like, why not just say, you know what? Our our leadership group moving forward is going to be Don Maloney as president of Hockey Ops and and Craig Conroy as GM, and we're going to go from there. So what what is this review going to accomplish, especially since Craig Conroy already signed an extension to stay? Who are you bringing someone in from the outside? And more to the point, who would want to come in for the outside from the outside, knowing that you're basically inheriting a bulletproof coach and you have guys that are entering the final year of their contract that may or may not want to stay. And you're, you could be entering a significant period of transition and you have to deal with a sort of, I don't want to say iron fisted, but certainly a, a, an ownership group that, they run things the way they want to they want it to be run. Mm-hmm. It's a really this is a critical critical juncture in Calgary Flames history. I I truly believe that right now whatever happens in these next few weeks is going to change the course of the next 10 years of the Calgary Flames. It it really does feel like they are at a major crossroads and I and 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 there's three or four different decisions that will determine kind of which path they go down, whether it's with some of these players and and how they want to go about approaching those things or what they're going to do at general manager, what they're going to do at head coach. It it really does feel like they're at a major, major crossroads right now. It's, 
It's a, I've never seen the flames sort of in a bigger mess than they are right now. And that's for a whole host of reasons. Like the, it, there seems to be missing a cohesive five-year plan. There seems to be missing stability in the front office. There seems to be some real friction and frustration with the coaching staff. There's no arena deal in place. And you heard players openly complain about the arena. There's a lot of work to do here. And that's not, there's no personal shot at anyone when I just made those statements. There's a number of people there that are collectively wearing the stink or sting of that because, you know, things things have a long way to go to get right. Mm-hmm. Do we have any idea what, like, from who you've talked to, do you get a sense as to who else they might be looking at as general manager? I don't even know that they're looking at anyone right now. I haven't... I haven't uh, heard of of names or candidates. I I don't even know that they're actively seeking to fill the position yet. I think they're trying to wade through the mess of of what these last six days and 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 also what this season was to try and get a better handle on it before even getting to that point. I I do not have any indication that a search has started. Jeez, and you want to like you'd like to have something in place. You know, in the next number of weeks, you got a draft coming up. You got a very crucial offseason coming up when it comes to player personnel. I don't think that's as urgent as it is getting it right. Whoever it is, whenever it is, whether it's April 25th or whether it's June 17th, I don't think it matters as long as you get the right person because you have, you know, someone experienced in Don Maloney. And, and as I mentioned, Craig Conroy is still there and, and Brad Pascal is still there and Chris snow is still there. Like there's enough people to run things right now, make sure the draft is in place and amateur scouting and pro scout. Like there's enough people in place. And that was one of the things Brad true living did on the way out is make sure that those contracts are in place for those people so that things can continue to run in the event that he ends up walking. Last, uh, Last piece on the flames. Do you uh do you get the sense that Tree will be working again very shortly? Is this something that we see him in the mix for Pittsburgh or other GM jobs that might open up between now and whenever they open up? I do. I think the answer resides in him alone. If he wants to work, he'll be working. Like I said, highly respected a grinder that guy works his ass off and someone that I think a lot of people in that organization were really sad to see go on Monday because he treated everyone well. Um, and it was always about being a good person first and trying to put the best product on the ice and treating everyone as a family. So I think that part, um, it really stings. And I'll tell you what, in talking to a number of players in the last 24 to 48 hours, they're really upset because they're sad to see him go too. Mm-hmm. They, they felt like the way he treated everyone there um, exceeded expectations and normal bounds. And um, that's, that's left everyone wondering what's, you know, what's next. Grass is always Frank's- greener on the other side. 
Yeah, I know. I know. And uh, I, I know it's a, uh, it's a interesting time for Flames fans. Don't really know where this thing is headed from here. Um, it's going to be, I didn't, I, I don't know, Frank, I didn't know if uh, there could ever be an off season that topped the one that we got a year ago in terms of news and what's going to happen. Maybe we do. Maybe it, uh, maybe it is this summer because they got decisions to make with Michael Backlund and Elias Lindholm and a number of other unrestricted free agents at the end of this season. They got to hire a general manager. They got to figure out a lot of things. So we could have a very, very busy next number of months when it comes to this organization once again. Uh, Frank Saravalli's with us. He is our NHL Insider Tuesdays on Flames Talk from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Uh, just before we let you go, got to ask you a couple questions about night one and night two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. What uh, So good. What'd you make of Monday night? You had a comeback for the Kings. You had a crazy double OT game in Dallas. Boston looked like Boston. And Carolina was able to get a, a one-goal win. What, uh, what do we like on night one of the Stanley Cup playoffs? Tell you what I didn't like going up highway two with the Oilers was just the way that they sort of nonchalance their way through that game. Like we know you've been one of the best teams in the league since March 1st, the second best since January only to the Bruins. But guess what? That lack of maturity that Leon Dreisaitl talked about after the game. First off, I thought the Oilers were past that. Mm -hmm. And second, if the Oilers toy around with the LA Kings the same way that they did last year in the first round, the Oilers dream playoff run is going to end right here in the first round. That's not a bold prediction. That's a fact because the Kings are way better than they were last year. And the longer this goes on, Kevin Fiala has a chance to come back who led their team in scoring for the first 76 games of the season or whatever it was. I know the Oilers are much improved, but the Kings are too. And you need that type of maturity, I think, to not, you know, hang on for 17 more seconds. Yeah. To not take stupid penalties or or penalties that put your team in a spot where you're vulnerable. Power plays were also the story of night one. 19 goals scored overall in the league, nine of them on the power play. So nearly 50%. It's almost like players thought that referees would put their whistles away for the playoffs. That doesn't happen until you get to game seven. So you got to get there first. Tampa Toronto starts on, uh, on Tuesday night, you've got Winnipeg who snuck in and they'll play Vegas in round one. What, uh, what are you dialed on for night two? What uh, jumps? I mean, they're all really intriguing matchups, but what, uh, what really jumps out at you as we move towards night two and four more series starting? Yeah, I think it's the pressure of, Man, can you imagine what Toronto will be like if they lose on home ice to start the series? Everyone is sleeping on the Lightning, which like is kind of amazing to me because they say, well, the Lightning aren't as deep as they were last year. Okay, fine. And the Lightning were really kind of mediocre coming down the stretch. Sure. They don't care about the regular season. They just don't. They can flip the switch unlike anyone, any team that I've seen, they knew that this matchup was locked in with the Leafs since U.S. Thanksgiving. Yep. What's there to play for? Home ice? Who cares? We beat Toronto in Toronto last year in Game 7. We'll take on anyone. I know why logically everyone is picking the Leafs. Numbers, any, everything you can point to, almost every metric, you're like, yep, Leafs are the better team this year. 
but this year doesn't mean anything because it's the playoffs and the Leafs have demons everywhere. As as they talked about in the Amazon series a couple years ago, the demons are in their heads, under their beds, in their closet, everywhere. And until those are slayed and put away for good, I don't know why. Like they're gunning for a seventh straight first round exit. I'm not picking against the Lightning. Do so at your own peril with Andre Vasilevsky in net. And I know he hasn't been as good this year, but Victor had been roaming the blue line and Mikhail Sergachev, who probably should have gotten more Nars Trophy love, and a forward group that matched the Leafs this year in point production, one through four. Yep. I don't know. I'm not I'm not sleeping on Tampa. Nope. I never do. I uh, I don't think you should either. Um, great stuff, pal. Really appreciate the insight. Enjoy night two of the playoffs. We'll do it again next week. And who knows? Maybe we'll have more big flames news in a week's time when we're talking again. I'm almost sure we will. This is going <laughs> to sure. be an ongoing saga, much in the same way, I think, that every time I, I dialed up Vancouver radio, we talked about <laughs> Bo Horvat for, or JT Miller for months on end. We're going to have a lot to talk about over the next number of weeks. Yep, no doubt. Thank you, Frank. See you, Pat. That's Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. Joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, and you can always catch him Thursdays on the big show with the boys as well. He joins us on both programs, thanks to our friends at South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Power Hour 1 of Flames Talk as we roll on on this Tuesday. Frank Saravalli a little earlier with us. Really interesting stuff on how he reads the situation and his understanding of where we are now when it comes to the Calgary Flames, why Brad Tree Living has walked away from the organization, why the Flames weren't able to get him to stay, or, or however you want to interpret it, uh, that to kick off this hour. And we roll right from Frank Saravalli into the Daily Flames roundtable at Steinberg. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media is here with us, and the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills. Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Don't miss the grand unveiling of the EQ lineup this Thursday at 5 p.m. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills just minutes from the Calgary airport. So still digesting the Monday news that we got. Still digesting that for the first time since the spring of 2014, the Calgary Flames have a new general manager. And honestly, I mean, it's the only GM Mr. Wills has ever worked with. Uh, for the most part, like I, I worked a little bit with Daryl, with Jay Feaster for his tenure, but by far the general manager that has dominated the majority of my time covering this team. I know the same is true for Wes because our timelines are pretty similar. So it's just a huge adjustment covering this team for all of us. And it's really damn weird to think about the fact that Brad True Living's not going to be at the draft in Nashville with the Flames, and he's not going to be the guy that we talk to after this move or that move. And so here we are. And 
Guys, we talked a little bit with with Vickers on Monday's roundtable just about the tenure of Brad and his nine years as GM of this team. So I wanted to to take that a little bit further and maybe focus it a little bit. So first question on this Tuesday roundtable. Nine seasons as the GM of this team. Give me one decision, good or bad, that will define his tenure, or for you, just as you look back on it, will be the first thing you think of when you think back on Brad Living's tenure with the Flames. Well, for me, that's actually a pretty easy question to answer, Pat. It has to be the Matthew Kachuk trade. I mean, he made a lot of big moves during his nine seasons, a lot of big trades, and for the most part, I think those worked out really well for the team. Uh, a lot of big signings. I think another thing that Brad did really well during his tenure was re-signing his own guys. You look at how many guys are on team-friendly contracts right now. Well, that was Brad's handiwork. But for me, it's the Matthew Kachuk trade, the biggest of all the trades that he made. And it's funny because a week or two ago on the Jeff Merrick Show, Jeff and Elliot Friedman were talking about the biggest stories of the 22-23 season in the NHL. And I think it was Elliot who suggested that the Matthew Kachuk trade might be at the top of the list. With all the big things that have happened around the league this season, he suggested that the Kachuk trade might be at the top of the list. So I think that gives you an idea of uh, how it's viewed outside of the market. And obviously it was a bigger deal inside of the market. And we talked a little bit about it on the Monday edition of the Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable and about that trade and how really... There were a few ways he could go. He could have held on to the player and potentially moved him in season or, hey, if the Flames had had a really good season, maybe you don't move him at all. Uh, that wouldn't have been the best plan, in my opinion, especially uh, with, the, uh, with hindsight being 2020. But he, he also had two options as far as what type of trade to make. He could have made a trade for futures to basically push it and and try to retool on the fly. He didn't do that. He made a hockey trade of sorts. Now, he did get some futures in a prospect with Cole Schwint and in a first-round pick. And you know, I said on Monday that it might be uh, two, three years before we can actually evaluate the Kachuk trade. Well, thinking about it a little bit further since then, might be even longer than that, guys, because the Flames' first-round pick that they got from the Panthers isn't until 2025. So if they hold on to that pick uh, and, and take a player and then have to develop that player, who knows when we can actually truly evaluate the trade that they made last August. But they also got two key pieces in Jonathan Huberdeau, who didn't have a great year, and Mackenzie Weger, who I thought had a really good year and was probably the Flames' best defenseman in the second half of the season. But that was a franchise-altering trade. You traded one of your franchise players after another one of your franchise players walked in free agency, and you got a big package in return. He got way more in return for Matthew Kachuk than I thought that he could or would. As a matter of fact, I was at, at a wedding in Regina when the trade was made late on a Friday night, and someone handed me their phone. It was my girlfriend, and she said, uh, Kachuk just got traded. And I looked at it, and I'm like, well, that can't be real. They couldn't have got that much for him. So I handed the phone back. Now I was a couple of glasses of wine in. She's like, no, it came from Elliot. I'm like, well, give me your phone again. So I looked at it and thought, how did they get that much for Matthew Kachuk when they got painted into a corner and had to trade him and had a pretty short list of teams that they could trade him to? So guys, for me, it's the Kachuk trade at the top of the list. 
the defining moment for me of, of Brad Schlittman's tenure, and, and maybe this is recency bias because it's so much of the conversation, but it's the decision to bring back Daryl Sutter. And why I call it the defining moment or the defining move, because there's there's been some big trades and, and some significant signings, and those all belong on the list. But for me, the reason this one is going to be the defining is it hasn't finished defining the flames yet. It is ultimately part of the reason that we're talking about Brad Living not being back as general manager for a 10th season. It has been the center of the scuttlebutt about how, uh, I don't know if negative is the right word, but, but just how these exit meetings unfolded and how much potential turmoil is still happening behind the scenes at the Saddledome. The, the decision to bring Daryl back, and it absolutely paid short-term dividends. He changed the culture at the Saddledome for the better. I don't think any of us would argue that. He led the team to one of its best seasons in franchise history. He led them to a victory in the first round of the playoffs. He led them to the first Battle of Alberta in the postseason since the early 90s, something we'd all been looking forward to for so long. So he did a lot of good, but the reason that this move hasn't fully been defined is because we don't know what comes next. And while I look at all the player moves and think, geez, that was a good one. Geez, that was a good one. Man, that was a good draft pick. Mm, He might want that one back. I think ultimately, when I think of the decision that is going to define his stint at the Saddledome, it's going to be the rehire of Daryl Sutter. For me, the defining moment of Wes Gilbertson's time on Flamestock would be how he did not bat an eye after I spilt three quarters of a Vente tea all over the desk here. Didn't bat an eye uh, and just continued with that very eloquent Voice. answer. That. Well, did he help you clean it up at least? No, no chance. No chance. No. That's all on me because I'm a dummy. I'm on Flames Talk to make the messes. <laughs> well, we'll let Pat clean them up then. That's what I do. And I, yeah. hey, you've seen the hot stove lounge, the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems hot stove lounge. Uh, after a couple of good uh, weekend shifts from our sales crew entertaining clients, and you see the aftermath. Nobody is a better hot stove janitor than I am. Uh, guys, the, the, you know, and I think that the Kachuk trade might be, maybe unquestionably is the biggest trade of the cap era. You throw in the fact that made history with it being the only sign-in trade that we've ever seen in NHL history. That's a damn good one. Um, the the Daryl Sutter conversation, absolutely. Just even the way it went down and... You know, the fact that it came after a 7-3 win over Ottawa and it was in the middle of this season where fans weren't allowed in buildings and all that type of stuff. I think that one will always stick with me. But for whatever reason, and and I think it's because of just kind of how it set the flames on a different course. And it's not all that dissimilar to the Matthew Kachuk trade, but the deal that was made with the Carolina Hurricanes set this organization in a really interesting in an interesting path and it got them as it turns out the number one center that they've been looking for for decades in my opinion i believe it did it got them elias lindholm and while elias had a rough year by his standards production wise this year he's still the number one center on this team and he would be 
a number one center on a good chunk of NHL teams. Not every NHL team. He ain't McDavid. He ain't McKinnon. Like, we're not talking about him being of that caliber, but he is a, a number one center in this league, and, and I don't think he's over his head taking on the heavy lifting that he does. And that's something the Flames couldn't draft. It was something the Flames couldn't acquire, and it's something they didn't really have. Uh, and, and maybe there was a one- or two-year stretch here or there where they were kind of flirting with it but never got it. And on top of that, they get a pretty good defenseman in Noah Hannafin. But they also traded away a guy who's gone on to be in Norris Trophy conversations in Dougie Hamilton, uh, who's having an incredible year and will kick off his postseason with the Devils on Tuesday night. A Norris Trophy winning defenseman and Adam Fox was dealt in that move. So it's it's just, I know it doesn't have the same cachet as the Kachuk deal because A, it's not as recent, and B, the names maybe weren't quite as sexy then as Kachuk, Huberto were when the deal was made this past summer. But that deal was on the same scale when it comes to the impact players that were involved. And it was kind of forced on Brad as well. Dougie Hamilton requested a trade. And I, I don't, that never gets talked about enough is that, yeah, Dougie had two great years as a member of the Calgary Flames and a lot of people wanted him to stay. And hell, had, had he not requested a trade, I think there would have been great reasons for him to stay. But he requested a trade and, and he wanted out. And the Adam Fox situation, I always will wonder about, could they, could they have maybe leveraged him in another trade and what would that have looked like? And it turns out he didn't sign with Carolina. He wanted the Rangers all along. So maybe they couldn't have really leveraged him that much, but he went on to win a Norris trophy and that was one of Brad's picks. It's just that one will always stick out to me because of all the superstar players and really good players that were involved in it. You got two, two really good contracts signed. After the fact, Lindholm and Hannafin's contract have been contracts have been huge in allowing the team flexibility with their salary cap elsewhere. It just to me, it was every much as franchise defining a move as the Kachuk trade was. It just didn't have the same cachet at the time. But you take a look at where it's gone for every player or most of the players involved. It was a pretty huge deal. Yeah, it was a massive trade, and I kind of wonder where the Flames would be if they hadn't made that deal. Uh, I also wonder where they would be if they had been able to convince Adam Fox to sign with the team, but they did everything they could in that regard. And uh, like you said, Pat, it was Rangers or bust for him. So they got what they could for him, sent him to the Hurricanes. They tried to sign him and couldn't. So they flipped him to the Rangers, but you get a number one centerman in Elias Lindholm. You get a first pairing or at least top four defensemen in Noah Hannafin. You give up Dougie Hamilton, who's a really good player, but wasn't a fit with that team uh, in the dressing room, at least. You give up Michael Furland, who really wasn't healthy uh, as a member of the Hurricanes or after that as a member of the Canucks. And you give up Fox, who wasn't going to sign with you. So you get two core pieces in that trade. So I think that's a really good one as well. And Wes, uh, right now the big story is Brad Treleving is no longer with the organization and Daryl Sutter is. And I think we're all kind of waiting to see if there's more to the story, if there's another chapter or two to be written here before we can uh, really figure out what all of this means. So, yeah, I mean, he made a lot of impactful moves during his time here. And as I said uh, on Monday, way more good uh, when it comes to the the deals that he did and and didn't make. So it's... uh, I guess still time to look back at his tenure and uh, figure out where the Flames go from here. 
and I know you guys both picked massive blockbuster trades as your defining moments of his nine seasons at the Saddle Dome. And, and I'll just add that part in addition to what a terrific human being he is and, and how much we enjoyed our interactions with him. That's part of what made it fun to cover uh, Brad Living managed yep. hockey team. Yeah. You know, the the most iconic general manager in this city became famous, Trader Cliff, for his willingness to, to wheel and deal. And it's way harder to do now, but Brad was not a guy who was ever afraid to swing for the fences. It didn't always work out for the best. You know, I, I'd point to the Travis Hamannick trade, but... This is a guy who was not afraid to pull the trigger on a big deal, and it sure was fun for us to cover. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah. Very rare. And I'm disappointed in both of you because neither one of you brought up the big uh, Brett Ritchie for Nick Ritchie trade. Another history maker. First brother for brother trade in NHL history, and uh, there's that shootout attempt. Maybe if Brett wasn't on the team or was on the team still, he would have picked someone else. Who knows? Also, I believe uh, resulted in $10 in the Sportsnet 960, the (laughs) Richie jar. That's good point. Yeah, at least. I owe owe the jar 10 bucks or 15. Yeah, don't be afraid to send over an e-transfer. Yeah, we're waiting, actually. Yeah, what's the uh, email address for that that jar? I'll get it to you. You guys have it on hand? Okay. uh, It's soaked in... uh, Pat's vent, yeah, the M- Emperor's cloud yeah. mist is all <laughs> yeah, over. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, we've lost the email. Just complete. It was three quarters full, and then it wasn't. Let me tell you that. Uh, it is the Daily Flames Roundtable with Derek and Wes, and I am Spilly Steinberg. Guys, when does a new general manager need to be in place? Is is there a for you? Is there Obviously, there's no hard deadline, but is there an ideal time frame as to when they got to have somebody in place? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a specific date for you, but when's the NHL draft? It's, what, 28th, 29th of June, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Yeah, so for me, late May, early June at the latest, I mean, you've got five picks in this draft, including first and second rounders, and you're going to probably get a pretty good player with that first round pick with the depth of this draft class. So I'm not sure. And this is with all due respect to Don Maloney, who's the new president of hockey operations and interim general manager, but he's bringing in a new GM. And I think ideally you give that new GM some time to meet with the scouting staff and figure out who you're going to take with that first round pick. And then what do they have? Second, fourth, fifth and seventh, something like that. But obviously that first round pick is the big one. And I think you want that GM to have at least a couple of fingerprints on that pick, because I think back to when Brad Treliving took over as the GM of this team, I'm not sure his fingerprints were really on that Sam Bennett pick. Now, I'm not sure it really would have mattered who was the GM at that time, because there was a clear cut top four in that draft. And whoever was there at four is the guy the Flames were going to take. And, you know, Sam Bennett, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was actually ranked number one by NHL Central Scouting. So, 
he slipped down to four, and uh, the Flames took him. And at the time, it was a no-brainer pick. Uh, I guess you could argue it in hindsight. But I'd like the new GM to, to have a little bit of time to wrap his head around this draft class. I'm guessing whoever they hire is probably already going to have a pretty good idea of uh, who he likes and who he likes a little bit less in the first round. But I think having someone in place by the end of May or the start of June would be ideal. But uh, I also look at it from the other side of things in the sense that you don't want to rush the process. You want to make sure you get the right guy. And if you have to wait a little bit longer to get that guy, then maybe that's the more important thing to do. But uh, best case scenario for me, late May, uh, early June would be great, if not sooner. Yeah, I'll just echo you there, Wilsey. I absolutely think you need the new hire in place for the NHL draft. We heard it from Don Maloney yesterday. There's a lot of work to do there. You know, there's a... a Steinberg's venti level cleanup to do at the Saddle Dome. There, there's a lot to figure out in terms of what <laughs> went wrong, but also what the direction is moving forward. And while I certainly understand the sentiment, you can't rush it. You got to get the right person for the job, and and that's all true. You also can't you can't drag on this one. You can't dawdle on this one. And I certainly don't get the sense that that's the plan. But I do think there's a sense of urgency. You not only need the new person in place before the draft, you need a plan going into the draft. Yeah. That's not just now yeah. when you you pile up on prospects. That has absolutely become the most important weekend on the NHL calendar in terms of setting the stage for deals, potentially making deals. The framework of so much gets done at that event. And maybe even more so this year since it's in nashville and you can get more wheeling and dealing done at at tootsies <laughs> i i just think it's absolutely pivotal to have a person in place by then it'll be my first trip to nashville <clears throat> just if you're uh, wondering oh before, yeah so. don't check out tootsies it's no good yeah I don't, I don't think it really appeals to me in any way shape or form um i i think if you could like i think you can do your due diligence get the right guy, get it right, and still have this done by mid-May. And and mid-May seems like a pretty good timeline. If you can do it earlier, sure, but I think that that gives you literally a month or just under a month to get this done. Interviews, due diligence, talking around the hockey world, really feeling right about your call, I think that would be an ideal time frame because that gives you another month and a half to prep for the draft, to really get a handle on the processes that are already in place with the Flames, ones that you'd like to change now that you're the general manager, a working relationship with Don Maloney, a good look. You're going to hire a hockey guy. You're not you're not bringing somebody in from Major League Soccer who doesn't know anything about the sport and is learning on the fly, but you're still talking about somebody who needs to get a little bit more of a book on the prospects a little bit more of a book on the organizational needs, a little bit more of a book on on who is on the roster and and how they meshed with it. Like there's there's a lot of things you got to learn and I think a month and a half is a decent enough time as well. So that's kind of where I would peg it. Get something done in the last mo- next month or so. That'll give you plenty of time to get it right and also gives the new person plenty of time to get comfortable with the group and be prepared for an important few weeks at the end of June. The only thing that I could see making that timeline difficult, Pat, 
is if they're interested in someone who works for a team who goes deep in the playoffs. Because that person would have to get permission to talk to the Flames, and maybe that team would give it. Maybe they wouldn't if their season was still going. So uh, if you're planning to hire an internal candidate, I think it's way easier to get the, get somebody hired sooner rather than later. But if you're looking at external candidates, and I'm guessing they're looking at both because they want uh, to hire the best possible candidate, then uh, you might have to work around uh, how other teams are doing in the playoffs. But the other key reason why I'd like to see them get someone in place sooner rather than later, and it's something we've talked a lot about, guys, the only person in hockey ops who has a contract going into next season is Daryl Sutter. So you want your new general manager to be able to put a staff in place. And selfishly, and I think you guys feel the same way, I'd like to see a lot of the same people come back as far as the people who are with the current management group and the current coaching staff. But ultimately, the general manager is potentially going to want to bring in some of his own people. And the quicker you can get to that process, especially if you're going to look outside the organization, I think the the larger pool of candidates that you get to work with and uh, potentially the better people you get to hire. So uh, the sooner the better, I guess, is the the right answer. But uh, again, these things sometimes take time. Good stuff, Wilsey. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. All right, enjoy the games tonight, guys. You as well. That's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we start to wrap things up this hour, that is your Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Don't miss the grand unveiling of the EQ lineup this Thursday at 5 p.m. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Just minutes from the Calgary Airport.